0: Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Construction Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, I have an interview with Ed Davis, the creator of The Immortal Era. This is Matt and Ed. Thanks so much for for joining us. Why don't you lead us off with a quick bio about yourself and a little bit about this comic, and then we'll go sort of more in depth on the uh, the creative process here. Okay, great. My name is Ed Davis. I'm the writer and creator of Immortal
1: Era. Um, this is a series that's two issues into it so far, but in the end, I envision it to be about a 30-issue series. This is my first time into publishing, and I founded the Finish Line Comics to as a place that I could publish independently and hopefully eventually have some other people published there as well. I'm already talking to a few different artists about potentially publishing their work here. So it's kind of starting from the ground up and just always had a passion for comics. So this was something I had always wanted to do, but just waited a long time to do it. And now starting with this and publishing this series and hopefully more
0: in the future. Very cool. So um, I've had a chance to read the first two issues of, of this comic. Uh, how long has this sort of idea for this been in your head? Or was it a collection of like maybe ideas that you, you put together for this uh, for this uh, comic? Uh, how did that go for you? The
1: general idea has been in my head for about 25 years. I got it in college when I was reading Jonathan Swift and we were reading Gulliver's Travels and he traveled to the land where the immortals lived. I think it's, I forget how to say the name, but he travels to this land and there they have these people that are immortal, but they age and they're horribly, horribly old and just, terrible to look at so at first he thinks immortality what a wonderful thing so it kind of started with that little nugget of an idea and I got home from that class and started to write down all these ideas so I envisioned it originally as a novel trilogy but kind of worked it into a comic
0: series. Okay, so 25 years ago you got the, the, the kernel of an idea the, the nugget and you, you did go back and you wrote it down. Um, how much over like that, that time period, say 25 years ago to the time you committed to, to getting this comic made, how many sort of changes did you make? And did you, were you impacted by, by other stories that you either diverged from the, the original idea or, or added to it?
1: I think it got the, the original idea, it started there, but then it started to kind of morph when I read the, um the On a Pale Horse series, and I kind of got that idea with incorporating the mythology of death into that. So it mm-hmm. wasn't just they were immortal, but I thought, okay, bring in actual mythological death and making that a part of the series and then kind of morphing it into just a story about immortality and how it's way overrated and bringing it into something like how it's got a, a mythology and almost turns into a fantasy series at a point.
0: Yeah, I I uh, I I can see that. Um so you had mentioned earlier that you were thinking of making maybe this a trilogy as as a prose work. Um Yeah. Uh when was the sort of either the decision to transition it to to a comic series uh when when was that made?
1: That was made probably about 5 years ago the librarian at the school that I work at, he was actually a Kubert school graduate. And I was just kind of telling him about this story that I was writing. And the first book was basically done in first draft form, the other two were fully outlined. And I was just running the story by him. And he said, this would be a really good comic book. And at that point, I had never written a comic book in my life, but went online and researched what I would need to do to actually write a comic book. And moved it from the novel and started to adapt that into comic form.
0: Oh wow. So you just said there that the uh the first book was mostly written like the the first draft was completed. Did you do yeah. like a process where you looked at sort of like uh an act or or a chapter trying to transition that to like I- an issue length? Did you did you have any sort of breakdowns that way?
1: Yeah, the first the first issue is Pretty much the first chapter, but it won't be one chapter per issue as it goes, because some stuff will get cut because it doesn't work in the comic form. Mm -hmm. So it'll start to get whittled down into a tighter story just so it can be told in comic form. Because my biggest problem I had when I started was I had so much dialogue. I mean, it was overrun with it. My first draft of the book they, the letterer put the dialogue in there and there was no, you couldn't see the pictures anymore. So I realized I got to start, start trimming and it's still pretty heavy in dialogue, but compared to where it was, it's a lot, it's a lot less.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah. So uh, that's, that's pretty interesting because I think like a lot of times if you think about like a, uh, a book, either that you would pick up like in a bookstore or, or maybe, you know, go to the library and, and, and check it out. Uh, a lot of times that, 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 that first chapter, um, either has an element of excitement or, or mm-hmm. ending on a cliffhanger to, to either entice you to, to buy the book or to, to keep reading the book, which yeah. is also, which is also a trick that you want to do with, um, uh, with a with a first issue of a comic, so do you did you find yeah. that was a an easy way to sort of take that first chapter, and then sort of uh, change that around to to fit that that first issue of a of a of a comic book?
1: Yeah, I think that did work because it the cliffhanger is the same in the novel and in the comic book. Okay, the cliffhanger has Miguel finding the book that he says has the answers to everything Mm -hmm. and the second chapter was basically in the book them reading the book to discover what was in there so those two the first two chapters have pretty much remained untouched I mean turned into comic form but the basic story for those two are the same it's from three and on that I started to actually make a lot of changes.
0: Very cool. Um, so you had mentioned that uh, you were talking to a friend who was a librarian, giving yeah. him sort of the idea uh, when you were, were developing this as a as a prose piece, and then he said mm-hmm. this would work great as a comic. And you did some research. Uh, yeah. Was that sort of like uh, a combination of like how to books and comics, or was it uh, mostly like a deep dive into into like? Uh, like how to how to uh, you know write comics you know understanding comics like those kinds of things.
1: It was pretty much just a deep dive into that. I looked on I looked in the back of a whole bunch of anthologies that I had, read the scripts that they had in the back of those collections, and then kind of got some ideas from there. And when I went online to research, I realized there's real there, there's really no one format to write a comic book. Mm-hmm. You write the one that's that's most comfortable to you. So I played around with several different ones and found one that worked with me. And I got that from the back of the saga with Brian K. Vaughn. I kind of liked how he did his, you know, page one, panel one, and followed that kind of structure. So I did that, but I know there's some that are more just kind of filling in almost a blank template that you would fill in. So I wanted it to feel still more like prose when I was writing it. So my scripts are pretty wordy and, I'm still throwing similes and metaphors in there for the descriptions that the audience will never see, but I hope that it helps the the artist when he's doing the book kind of envision what the mood is supposed to be for every panel. Well,
0: wow, that's pretty interesting that you bring up Saga because I know that like I, um, when I read that first issue and I got to that last page, that was a very sort of Saga-esque ending where it's sort of mm. like that that, big either whole panel or like a large panel with that like that one moment where it's like this is a turning point and i'm excited to to, to come back and, and and see what's next so that's interesting that you were yeah. looking at, at at saga for for that um, yeah, i always like that mo- that big moment to end an issue
1: i mean i just remember when i was a kid reading comic books they'd always end on that moment and you'd have to go wait for that month for the next book to come out so i like to kind of Leave the audience hanging on each and every issue.
0: That's cool. So, what were some of the the books that you enjoyed when you were when you were a kid?
1: When I was a kid, I dug into all the old school Marvel stuff. I remember my dad would take me to swap meets once a week. We'd go every Sunday, and there was these. There were this, There was a place that was just selling these used Marvel anthologies. So I started, I believe, with Spider, of the one that's had the first first 10 issues of Spider-Man and the Amazing Fantasy. And from there, I just got hooked on everything Marvel. So I was reading that, the old Iron Man, old Avengers, old X-Men, just kind of dug deep into Marvel, reading all those old anthologies.
0: And were you um, were you away from comics a bit when you were maybe thinking of yourself as, as as a prose writer?
1: I don't think I ever really separated myself from comic books because... I mean, I I really when I got into high school, I started to read Sandman and Neil Gaiman and realized that comics can still be a way to tell a, a literate story, a literary mm-hmm. story just in with the pictures. I mean, you look at something like Sandman and you look at that as that's elevating comics to the level of literature. So mm-hmm. I never really stepped away, but I did stop reading kind of the monthly Spider-Man and stuff like that
0: yeah and did you um transitioning from sort of the the i guess those would be considered uh silver or bronze age sort of stories mm-hmm. and then see you know those are very uh the the storytelling is very matter of fact there's a lot of uh people like announcing their intentions it's not a lot of yeah show don't tell it's a lot of tell mm-hmm. and show Um yeah and then so when you picked up those uh Neil Gaiman books you know him also coming from from a prose world um, that sort of had to be sort of an enlightening moment of like what you could do and I think you you mentioned that that it uh, it was another sort of either light bulb moment or like a just a realization that um, you know as for as much as we all enjoy a good superhero comic that you know not all comics are you know Batman you know punching a guy uh, in the neck there's a lot of different ways to to tell stories and it's just sort of a medium for for storytelling
1: yeah and it's just a different way because now so many so many stories you read they're still your monthly ones but even they're kind of trying to tell bigger stories that don't just get told in one issue and wrap up and bring the next one so even your batmans are doing more than punching in the throat they're trying to tell bigger stories so Mm -hmm. i think i think with vertigo and what they did in the in the early nineties it kind of changed the way comics were read and it changed the way that I was reading them. And I got really hooked on pretty much anything new that would come out from vertigo. I'd immediately grab.
0: Yeah. So let's turn our attention back to, to your book. Um, There's definitely a lot of uh, uh, genre, not genre matching. I don't know if that's the right word, but there's a lot of mix and matching that, that you're doing here. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I know that you had mentioned some of the the influences, but whether whether um as the story evolved and as you transitioned from again from prose to comics, were there were there any uh influences that you, you might have taken, you know, a movie, a TV show? I'm I, in my mind I'm thinking there's a couple, but I, I want to see if, if you name the ones that I'm thinking. I mean, I think for the post apocalyptic factor, I looked at Mad
1: Max. I watched all those when I was younger. Um trying to think, just I mean, it was definitely it'll it kind of has a Lord of the Rings vibe when it and when the quests becomes part of the book. So I was influenced by the movies and the books on that one. And yeah, I'm trying to think. There was a lot of stuff that influenced me. Like I said, the On a Pale Horse series. I read that one and lots of different series and I just kind of took bits and pieces and I tell people when I'm trying to pitch it at a con, it's kind of, you have, it's fantasy, it's horror. It's got little bits of, you know, science fiction lodged in there. So I was just kind of, I I watched everything and consumed everything. So I think it's just bits and pieces of everything floating around kind of made their way into the story.
0: Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, I didn't get the, the, the Mad Max, um, I got a little. Well, I guess now I can see that with sort of some of the the fringe elements that are sort of trying to to invade the 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 village. That the, I, I I can see that now. Um, I I got this might be weird, but I got a little bit of like like Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, you know there's a there's a bit of I guess there's a bit of like an overpopulation problem there's there's people yeah. sort of like huddled and like every, everything just feels sort of like uh closed in and tight um and then you know it's kind of hard for us as, as comic fans and I, I don't know if this is true but there's uh there you know uh so far as what I've read there hasn't been anything to this effect but there's there's a little bit of like that um, there's not, there's not zombies, but there's a little bit of like the, a little bit of the walking dead where you have those sort of, again, those fringe elements that are like, uh, you know, um, attacking and, and trying to take resources. So I got, I got a little bit yeah. of that.
1: Yeah. There's definitely a, a bit of the zombie stories. Cause I went through like late high school and all the way through college, just a zombie obsession, but I didn't want to tell a standard zombie story but it definitely has that element in there the same kind of thing it's just kind of the opposite where instead of zombies they just won't die so they're, mm-hmm. they'll live forever but not like a zombie just trying to eat flesh but they're still trying to take all the things that they can and they basically leave the population having to deal with with a lot of problems that become from them so yeah, I definitely would say that's part of it because, yeah, I had a huge zombie obsession and wrote a few zombie stories that one day I might adapt, but zombies became so oversaturated for a little while. I thought, all right, put the zombies on the side for a
0: little bit. Yeah, Um So uh, I have a couple questions about the 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 creative team as a whole. Um, How did you uh, first? How did you uh, connect with with the artist? It's the same artist on the on the the first two issues. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, the same. It's the same art team for the first two issues. So the artist I actually just found doing an online search. I just looked for artists looking for work, and Mm -hmm. there's a whole forum that I went to that had a whole bunch of different artists that posted links to their work and I saw his work and it really struck me as something that would work for the story I was trying to tell because I didn't want something that was kind of anime looking or cartoony. I wanted someone who did it in a more, in a grittier style. And when I found Caesar, I found out he still works paper and pencil. He's not doing anything digitally. So I love that it's kind of the story has more of a 90s vibe, I think, because that's when it started being written,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: having someone who did comics the way that they were done in the 90s, I really liked that idea.
0: Awesome. So did you uh, did you post uh, in the forum that you had an idea, or did you go into the forum and sort of look at the, the various art samples and then reach out to, to Caesar?
1: I went to the forum and just looked at the different art styles and saw he he had posted a page of a horror comic that he had done
0: mm-hmm. and it
1: looked really like the style I was going for. So I just reached out to him. and from that point, he was definitely interested in working on it. so sent him the character Bible, he did all of the character designs, and then from there started actually working on the script. And then he brought Viviana. he worked he had worked with her on the a comic book an indie comic Scorpio. and
0: okay. he said, I
1: have a good colorist so, do you want to use her? So he brought her along because she had worked with him on another book. And then the letterer, he was actually the librarian who oh. started this whole thing as a comic book. So he was, he's the last part of the team. So yeah, it was just kind of found him online. And then he luckily brought a great colorist with him.
0: That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and it's also sort of, uh, a a nice sort of tie in that, uh, the the guy or a girl I'm not sure in in this case that sort of gave you the idea of um, taking that 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 prose work that initial idea and turning it into a comic is, is is part of the team that's a that's a cool sort of uh, bit of uh, you know rounding out the 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 story
1: yeah I love, I love that he's involved with the book it's nice because I mean he's he it, he would really love to work in the comic industry but at this point, hasn't had the work in it, so it's good that he's on the book, and hopefully, he's able to keep working on that, and it picks up someday. But it's just nice that it was his idea; he put that nugget in my head, and you know, it's great to have him as part of the team.
0: Oh yeah, and with his background, do you ever sort of rely on 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 him to come in and 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 look at like a like a page design, or is it just is he just strictly still working as uh, as the the letterer?
1: He's working more as the letterer. I've worked on the page designs and that was one of the the problems we had in the beginning too was I didn't know how layouts and everything were supposed to go. So I would approve a layout and realize there was no room for the dialogue in it. So it's been kind of a working process to realize, okay, we need more negative space here and things like that. And he was the one that did tell me about that. He said, okay, you're gonna need extra negative space. So make sure that you tell your artist for this panel there's a lot of dialogue so leave some leave some open space to put the dialogue in there so he definitely has thinking about it helped me with that process of what i need to tell the artist but for the layouts i kind of still work on those myself and then my wife is working as one of the editors on the book so she'll look at them too and make sure it kind of works and just getting that second set of eyes on it's always good
0: That that's 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 very cool um uh so you had mentioned earlier that uh, the artist Caesar, he works traditionally. When you guys started off, was there um were you sort of seeing things in the the thumbnail stage, the the penciling stage and, and the inking stage and sort of signing off and saying, Yeah, you got it, or um yeah. this is not really what I intended. Like so was was that how was that how it was going for you?
1: Yeah, pretty much what he would do is he'd send me a really raw just kind of outline so we could see where the angles and everything were going to be and from that point he would take it to pencils and there was still a chance to edit it once it was in the pencil form
0: mm-hmm. so
1: that there were there weren't huge changes it was smaller things and we have a language barrier too so sometimes he doesn't quite understand what the script is saying so he'll ask me for clarification and a lot of times I'll have to send pictures from online i'll say okay this is what I was looking for. When we were trying to do the underground city that the main characters live in, that was a lot of trial and error. And I sent him pictures of subway cars and abandoned subway stations so he could get an idea of what it would look like. So it's a lot of that. And with him, pictures always help. So I've actually incorporated pictures into the script for things that I think might be challenging for him.
0: That's that's interesting. Um, the, the The first comic that I worked on, the, the artist was uh, from Brazil and mm-hmm. um, a lot of our communi well, all of our communications were either through messaging and, and email. And I yeah. found myself having to tell myself at times that, you know, I'm not talking to my, my buddy that I've known for, you know, X amount of years. I, I have to make sure that I'm being clear. I'm not yeah. uh, using slang or any sort of mm-hmm. like terms that aren't really, very clear. So did you did you find that after after a while? Oh yeah, definitely. There was there was a
1: point in issue two where I said the character walks to a strip mall. He had no idea what a strip mall was. Okay. So I had to describe, okay, just this is a shopping center with lots of various little stores. So as soon as I said it, he knew, but I realized, okay, I can definitely not use American slang for things like that, because he won't know what I'm talking about. Because he's actually also from Brazil. So oh, wow. Yeah, certain things he's just not going to understand because it's too American. So, in the the scripts that I've written for the fourth, fifth, and sixth issue, those were written directly with him in mind.
0: So I'm I make I make sure to
1: be more clear and leave out the things that he wouldn't know because of the cultural differences.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a a common thing that uh, anybody that you know English is our English is our first language and working with somebody. Um, the English is not their first language. It's mm-hmm. sort of like you make that mistake maybe once or two times, and then as as you know, us the the English first speaking writers, we start writing. We we, we at times go, oh, I'm not being clear there. Let me go back and make sure that I can be as clear as possible. But I like that you guys uh, you guys communicate with with pictures. Uh, a lot of times for for me, uh, it'll be you know taking taking the the image that we have maybe a layout and sort of uh you know marking it up with an error i'm sorry not an error an arrow and sort Mm -hmm. of like helping because that's as clear as possible that i can i can convey that sort of information with just sort of like either moving it um or directing where it should move so i think Mm -hmm. we all i think we all find that um, i have a i have a couple of questions as far as uh uh the pitch and the the series as a whole so i'm going to ask the the pitch question um sure. you said when you pitch people at cons um mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that it's got so many very very many aspects to it it's it's a little bit of sci-fi it's a little bit of fantasy um with some horror do you find that that is a, a, a positive or a negative because uh, I'm thinking it could be both because some people would be more willing to to read a story that has a little bit and somebody might be like I I like sci-fi I don't like fantasy do you, do you, do you ever encounter uh, either of those scenarios I think I've definitely hit both I've had some people
1: where you kind of talk about that it's a genre blending book and that intrigues them and other ones yeah they're more purists they want their horror to be straight horror they want their fantasy to be just pure fantasy so they don't really want everything in a big mishmash but i think overall that the the fact that it's got a little bit go a little bit of different genres in it it seems to intrigue people more and i think the fact that I'm telling them it's a big story. So you're gonna be reading something that's basically like a novel. So you'll get new pieces as you go along. I think people like that idea too because they want to read a bigger story.
0: Okay. Yeah, that uh I, I would agree with that. I sort of I sort of really enjoy the the stories that take bits and pieces. I'm thinking like uh if I don't know if you've read like East of West from Jonathan Hickman, but that's sort of uh uh you know sci-fi western uh, futuristic alt history story. So there's there's definitely room for those sort of uh, you know taking everything and sort of putting them together and, and telling a story yeah. that touches on all those various aspects.
1: Yeah, I haven't read that one, but I always like when people kind of throw a little bit of everything in there, and just makes it more fun because you you don't know what to expect because it's it can take from so many different genres where you don't know what
0: pieces you're going to get. So Try to keep it unpredictable. Very cool. And when you're pitching, are you pitching um, like to, to to folks at cons and, and and shows, or are you sort of reaching out to people online, or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. More of it, it lately. It's been more
1: cons because I just was. I had worked a lot of little ones last year to kind of get ready for the bigger ones and mm-hmm. just practicing pitching to try to make the story sound interesting because people in general, they're just, they want to keep walking. So you have to do something to intrigue them enough to stop and hear what you have to say. So yeah, it's just a lot of pitching. And then I've done it online too. It's its a lot easier when you can think about it and type it out while you're going instead of having to do it on the fly. But I enjoy talking with the people at cons and now I find a lot of people come up and say, Hey, give me some advice on how I can make a book. So they're kind of interested in the fact that now with the way this world is you can make your own books you don't have to wait for someone to do it for you you can go mm-hmm. and do it yourself
0: yeah um so it's, i guess that made me think of a, another question related to to pitching and and, and being at a con uh mm-hmm. do you find it uh, i don't know if you uh, dabble in any artwork if you work strictly as a writer um is is that the case yeah, i'm strictly a writer i have
1: no artistic skills unfortunately
0: yeah. So do you find any, any challenges? I mean, cause I know like if, if I'm at a con and you know, there's an artist that's, that's sketching a cool picture, that's a, a great sort of entryway to, to engage somebody uh, in a conversation. Yeah. So do you find that as a challenge uh, to, to sort of have the finished work and have the book in front of you and and try to, to get people to take a look at it? I think it can be a challenge because yeah,
1: if I could sit it there and, sketch a sketch one of my characters for them and do something like that to get that initial hook I think that's a power that I wish I had Mm because I see the artists doing that and they grab people to their table so I have to do it purely based on the content of the book so it's a challenge but I think it's one of those ones that the first few cons it felt a lot more daunting and now I feel confident enough in the story that I can try to grab them over and so, yeah, I wish the artist was here, but I do have his original pages. He sent those from Brazil, so they can come to the table and look at the original artwork. So that kind of grabs people, too. The fact that he's doing it still traditional and they can look at the actual pages of the book, that can be my hook since I don't have the artistic skill to actually draw anything.
0: Yeah. So you have those You have those pen and ink pages uh, with I you? I do. Yeah. And how how cool was it that did uh, when you guys work together, uh, did you guys work like in order, like page one, page two, page three? Like how if, if that was the case, how cool was it when you got to touch uh, page one of issue one and, and see, I guess, something that had been in your mind for uh, 25 years? Finally, uh, I know I know that it was a, a draft of a prose novel before, but how cool was it to hold that in your hands and, and see that it, you know, from. Your mind all those years ago, it was now something tangible that you could hold. It was a pretty amazing
1: feeling holding those original art pages, just seeing them. I mean, all of a sudden, seeing the characters that I had been writing for so many years, a story that had been kind of up and down. I'd work on it and then things would come up and I would have to put it aside. But to actually see those characters drawn out in the real world was a pretty amazing thing. And then just holding those pages, that was. I got those before I actually was holding the first comic book in my hand. So that was the first thing of looking through there. It's like, okay, that's my story. That's something I created. Those are my characters. So it was a surreal feeling. I mean, I just, you were just floating when you have that happen. And then the day that the books arrived on the, on the porch, and I got to open up a box full of my comic books. I mean, those were two spectacular feelings. So, this, you just can't top what that feels like to see something that you've worked so hard on
0: actually surface in the real world. Yeah, I agree. Um the first book that I did was was digital. Um mm-hmm. so I got the experience of opening up the the package and and holding the book. The second yeah. book was done traditionally and so that was the the time that I got to see um original pages. Um yeah. so those are those are two two very cool Uh, moments so um, I'd like to turn to the the story as a whole and not not giving anything away um, you know in in future stories but uh, you had mentioned that you envisioned this to be 30 issues or the or so close to that Um, I'm guessing that with your outline of the, the the prose trilogy you. You have your conclusion, um, your, your final moment, your maybe or maybe the the climactic moment um, already planned out, so you know what you're working to. So I think uh, if if, yeah. I, if I so if, is that the case? That's the case. Yeah, I've actually already written
1: the last issue. I went went and did that as kind of my first thing, so I know exactly where the story needs to go and what story beats need to happen to lead to that last issue. So that's already fully done so yeah when i when i did it i mean when i started writing the novel i didn't know where the end was but once i got it i made sure that i wrote that first so i don't want to spin my wheels and start just kind of having tedious issues where nothing happens i want everything to be leading to that moment and that's that's kind of why i want it to be 30 because doing those six issue story or each each story arc will be six issues Mm -hmm. so taking that and moving that into those arcs I can tell it in thirty issues and then know exactly where
0: it needs to go and where it needs to end that's 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 pretty cool and it's uh it's gotta be helpful and a relief to know that you know that point uh last page issue thirty maybe thirty one depending on or, or you know how things go um, yeah but you know exactly what you're working to Mm -hmm. and i think that's important because uh i think you you hinted on this this is going to keep you from you know meandering or going off on a tangent you're always going to be um working towards that that moment that you already have uh defined and 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 ready to go so i think that that should help i'm guessing for 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 tight storytelling Yeah. Um, so you mentioned also there that you're, you're looking, um, if it's 30 issues, you're looking to do, is it five issue arcs or six issue arcs? Six issue arcs. Okay. So, um, uh, so again, maybe a question about transitioning from, from a prose work to, to a comic work. Um, did you do any, when you were writing the, the, the first prose novel that you, you got down in in a first draft, Were you sort of following any sort of story structure like uh, the hero's arc or the the three act structure or any sort of other story sort of guidelines or outlines that we kind of all know? It was following kind of the hero's arc structure Mm -hmm. when
1: I wrote that first novel and then just kind of hero's quest is where it leads to. So it was following kind of that, that hero's quest and the hero's arc and, to see where the hero grows in the, as the story goes on.
0: So do you find that that helps you sort of uh, divide the, the 30 issues up into sort of like one through five is going to take you to like a, a satisfying moment in storytelling, but it's also going to um, keep you, keep you wanting more.
1: Yeah. That's what I'm looking to do. Cause after the first arc they'll definitely be big questions answered and it'll take them one step closer to completing the quest because in, in overall the story's quest is to bring death back into the world mm-hmm. so each arc should get them one step closer to restoring death and bringing the world back to the way it should be so each one will take a step closer and close up a major piece of what needs to be done and answer a lot of questions but still keep the questions out there so that you so that the readers want more and they want to continue on the quest
0: cool well i like i said earlier i've read the first two and i really enjoyed it and also a thought that i wanted to to convey was i felt like with the first issue you did a great job of like world building and then in the second issue, you did a, you were you were still doing world building, um, but you um, you gave us more character development and you made us um, be more invested in the characters. So was that something that you were that you were trying to do, or is that something that just sort of happened with with the outline and the structure that you had from from the story? I think it came from the outline, but
1: I I really wanted to make sure that the characters had depth, so that you actually care care about the characters. Because if you're reading a story and a major character dies, but you weren't invested in that character, mm-hmm. then it it doesn't even impact you. So mm-hmm. I want want the readers to really get closer with the characters, so that if anything were to happen, it would gut them because they feel so close so closely connected with the characters. So I really worked hard when I was working on the novel form of it to just really give each character their own, their own vibe and give them all different personalities so you're not just writing five identical characters, but also even if it's a character that you kind of are annoyed by, you start to learn to care for those characters as the story goes on. So building characters was one of the most important things that I wanted to work on because I just really want characters that people can love and connect with.
0: Yeah, uh so I, I that is something I definitely uh myself I definitely struggle with. I tend to be sort of like a like a high concept mm-hmm. sort of uh story. That's sort of the first thing that I think of. And yeah. as I start writing, I got I, I have to remind myself that I need these characters to be multidimensional or, or have yeah. a flaw or or have something that makes me um either root for them or, or want to see what happens to them next. So I I think you do, I think you do a great job of it. And I was just thinking you. you also do, you also, um, do a great job of, uh, when we, whenever we're introduced to a character, um, you do a great thing. And this, maybe this is a little bit of the artist, but there's a lot of like show, don't tell like i'm thinking about the two sisters that are yeah there like the when the one sister comes in just the sort of her attire and the way she presents herself you kind of like you kind of like you get you you kind of from just from that you kind of get a sense of what she might be about and then yeah. like two or three pages later the two the two um the two are having a conversation and you know, there's just sort of like, maybe like snide remarks back and forth. And it just Mm -hmm. sort of, it just sort of confirms that impression that we got of, of, of that character just from, from it's uh, from, from her appearance. So was that something you communicated um, to to Caesar when he did it? Like this person, um, you know, this is this, this is important to this person and this is why they sort of present themselves this way and then he sort of drew them that way or gave you character designs that way? Yeah, because we had to spend a lot of
1: time just going through who each of the characters were and I gave him big full-page descriptions of every single character so he knew what they were all about. And you can see, okay, this one is, you know, she's more of the warrior. One of them is more of kind of the, the spoiled even Mm -hmm. though she's living underground she's she's dressing and acting like someone who's from the surface and is full of rich you know full of rich clothes and everything so i i wanted him to be able to do that and then i love that his art conveyed that because like you say from the first panel that you see these characters you can tell what they're going to be like so i think that was kind of something that the artist did that you know took my descriptions and really elevated them to make sure that you can look at the character and you already know what
0: kind of character you're gonna see the moment you see them on there very cool so um I wanna turn our discussion as we as we close up here to uh your your publishing company um you had mentioned that earlier um, yeah right now um it's I guess you are sort of the the the, the either the only. Uh, force or the, the main force of that is the plan to, is the plan to um, complete this story um, from, from beginning to end, or if if sort of uh, inspiration strikes, uh, you know, do this for a little bit and then do something else or, 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 or or you haven't thought that far yet.
1: I definitely want to continue with this story and it's kind of all consuming. So I've been, working mostly on that, but I have a couple other little nuggets that popped in. So I've been working on outlines for another series that wouldn't be quite as long. It would probably just be a six issue series, Mm -hmm. but I'm working on that one. But as you know, if you're a writer, you have to have the funds to be able to pay an art team. So right now the focus is mainly staying on that, but I do have a couple other friends who are writers that really want to get a chance to publish with this company. So, I said, "All right, I can help you get an art team and we can actually start building a brand because in the end what I'd really like to have is multiple people published under this under this company and I really want it to be one that focuses on more long-form stories, so just more storytellers with that." So, I'm looking for people but right now the focus is mostly just getting this particular book Immortal Era out and finished because Mm. yeah it's just I wish I had the unlimited funds and I could have both my ideas moving at the same time but really that's all I can move is one thing at, at each moment
0: yeah and that makes sense and also um since since this was uh i'm thinking since this is a story that you've been working on for so long Mm -hmm. um you know striving for that that 30 issue series that 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 conclusion like that's gonna that's gonna once you reach that that's gonna be like just such a satisfying feeling oh yeah and that
1: at that point i'm sure i would want to dive into something else but it would just be also take a minute and just reflect on getting that done and Don't actually rush into something else. But Mm -hmm. anytime I get ideas, I just run and make sure I jot them down and put as many detailed notes as I can because I know I can always come back to it because this idea, it got pushed aside several different times. And yet I always came back to it. So I want to make sure I have enough notes that it doesn't just disappear.
0: Very cool. Um, so uh, I wanted to ask you a question about your wife working as mm-hmm. uh, one of your editors. Did she see this work uh, when it was in in prose form? She did. She's been
1: reading my writing ever since we've been together, and mm-hmm. we've been married now for twenty years, and we were dating for years before that. So she's been she's been reading all of my work and always she gives, she gives the criticism that sometimes I don't want to hear, but she's not afraid to tell me. So I couldn't have someone working as an editor that just sits and nods and says, Oh, this is great. Everything's perfect. Leave it alone. I need someone who can make me have to make those hard choices sometimes. So she has someone who's been reading my stuff for probably 25 years now is a good one to have because she'll, she'll definitely be honest with me and make the, make the
0: changes that need to be made. Very cool. And I guess it's got to be helpful to have one, the two sets of extra eyes editing it, because I know mm-hmm. for myself as a writer, sometimes like this story has been in my head for so long that I, when I go back to to edit it or review it, I at times have lived with it so long that I, I know what I'm trying to say, but that's not mm-hmm. actually what, I am saying there. So I think that's probably a benefit to you to have somebody who has lived with that story for so long, but also hasn't lived with it in their head sort of flushing things out and, and knows, and knows the story. And like I said, sometimes when that stuff is down there, either in like the written word or like in a caption box, like us as the, 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 the main writer or, Uh, the person that's lived with it. Again, we know what the story is and we kind of kind of sometimes um, uh, associate that in our head and that that extra set of eyes says, no, you're not actually saying that here or this is a little misleading. So that's that's going to be a great benefit to you. Yeah, because you'll tell me this isn't clear. I don't understand what just happened
1: here. And like you said, it's in my head. I can explain everything and everything that's going to happen after. But the readers are like her. They don't know what's in my head. So I needed to go back and clarify several things in both issues. Cause she said it, you may know it, but they don't. So it's, they help to fill in those holes so the readers don't end up feeling lost and confused.
0: Very cool. So um, I know that two issues are, are out. Um, yeah. And at the time of this recording, the, the, it needless to say the world is a bit of a uh, confusing and mixed up place right now. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, do you have like a plan or like a guideline of something you want to do? Like, uh, a certain amount of issues, uh, in like a, in a time frame, or is there something that you thought about? Like, you know, sort of us as an indie creator, we, it's hard for us to do that monthly, Uh, single-issue format, are you shooting for something like, uh, you know, two a year, three a year, or do you, you don't even sort of, haven't really thought that uh, as a plan?
1: We actually set our objective to put six out each year. So when the year started, things were moving on really well. He's finished almost all of the pencils and inks for issue three, but then my uh, my colorist is in Italy and she's going through all of the different you know lockdowns and quarantines and mm-hmm. she hasn't been able to focus on getting anything done because i mean her world is in shambles around sure. her so it's it's hard so we had set this perfect plan at the beginning of the year to get the first 6 issue arc finished by december and you know things have stood in the way but what will probably end up happening is the artist continues to work on the pages and I said, hey, when you finish three, go ahead and start four because the scripts are already done.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: we're going to have probably all six issues worth of of the pencils and inks done and then she'll just need to start coloring. So we'll go from no release for probably four to five months depending on when the world gets back to normal Mm -hmm. and then we'll end up with a flurry of releases almost looking like a major publisher where we're able to do one a month maybe one every two months and we'll really shoot out those issues because I still really want to see all six done so we can put together the first trade because it's something you see at the shows The people come up and say, oh, well, when's the trade paperback going to come out? Because there's people mm-hmm. that just don't want to read individual issues. True. They're They're used to reading it in that trade format. So they're waiting for the trade. So I really wanted to set the goal to have a trade ready for next year. So they have the trade that they can buy. And then the people that want individual issues can get that because there's still people on both sides. There's people that won't buy trades. They still want to read issue by issue and there's people that only read trade so i want to make sure i have something for both of them
0: yeah and i guess maybe one of the other benefits is you know you get a you get a first trade out you might be able to hook somebody that way yeah. and then you know issue 6 comes out and they're 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 so invested uh in the story that they you know um they they convert to 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 a single issue reader so it's it's sort yeah. of it gives you the the, the benefit and the, the way to, to market it differently. Mm-hmm. Well, Ed, I, I really enjoyed uh, reading this comic and then and talking about these, these comics uh, with you. Um, can you let everybody know where they can find you online? So as things sort of normalize in the world and, and more issues come out, they'll, they'll be able to, 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 to find you and, and see that new issues are coming out. Sure. Uh, the
1: Instagram is at finish line comics mm-hmm. and we're the only finish line comics on there. So if you search up finish line comics, you'll find us same with Twitter, but it's not the full finish line comics word. But if you type in finish line comics for your search, you'll find us there. And then Facebook it's at, it's under finish line comics as well. Mm-hmm. And then the finish is where you can actually go to buy the book because I have a store envy shop where issues one and two are available eventually I'm going to put all the different merchandise and everything I have because I have shirts and hats and posters but for now the store envy is just the two books because I want to make sure people can get them in the Mm -hmm. meantime because I was going to run a kickstarter we were going to do one for issues two and three together but with with the uncertainty of when issue three is gonna be out, I don't want a Kickstarter where people have to wait months for the product to actually arrive to them. So for now on the Finish Line Comics website, you can find issues one and two in the store and be shop.
0: Okay, and uh, uh, I know that a lot of cons aren't aren't being held, but uh, yeah. did you have any cons on your schedule that you were thinking about uh, going to? Oh, I had a lot lined up. And most of those have been
1: postponed. Mm -hmm. The next one that I have that is still uncertain is in Vegas. There's one in June. Okay. So I'm really hoping that that one still happens. But if not, a lot of the cons that I had already booked are getting moved to different dates. So I have Ontario in May, there's Ontario Comic Con. It's... um, not called Ontario Comic Con they call it something different but this it's the only one that's found in Ontario but with it being in the middle of May there's all there's a really good chance it's going to be postponed as well Mm -hmm. so I had pretty much one con lined up per month all the way through the rest of the year but with the uncertainty now I'm guessing the next one that I can guarantee will probably happen will be the Long Beach Comic Con which is in September
0: okay yeah uh hopefully uh hopefully things do get uh back normal so that we can go to cons and um you know books can start to to go out and just uh, i guess maybe larger picture um beyond comics is that you know folks like your colors can get back to uh, a normal way of of life yeah awesome well uh I'd like to to thank you for being on. I'm going to put links to to all of your social media in the show notes. So anybody listening that wants to 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 call up the show notes and look at those uh, to to follow you, um, those will be there. So um, uh, again, Ed, I'd like to to thank you uh, for being on. Um, as we close out, I'm just going to remind everybody that uh, I have a book that's in the Cthulhu is hard to spell uh, terrible twos anthology, um, and that is running until March 26, 2020. So if if you want to, you can check that out. There's uh, a ton of great great creators in that book. Um, there's even a story by Paul Jenkins who did a lot of uh, awesome Spider-Man stories that I that I really enjoyed. Um, If you could give the podcast a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you use, we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to follow the podcast, we are on Twitter at ConstructComPod. We are on Instagram at ConstructingComicsPod, Facebook and YouTube, Constructing Comics. And we'll be back with another episode very soon. And I hope everybody is safe and well. Thank you.